officially like to say good morning to everybody. And uh, on this brisk Sunday morning, we gather around the Word of God. Somebody say the Word of God. I have an Im- image in my mind right now as we put our hands and place our hands like over a bonfire. That's like the Word of God. When we come together, we receive the Word of God and it sets our hearts on fire. Amen? Praise the Lord. I was with a, a local church and their youth group last night on Zoom. They had a youth night. And it was so great to encourage the church who has not had any physical or in-person gatherings because they meet in the afternoons of, of a, a church in, La, in Los Angeles that has not yet opened their doors. And so they've had to wait for the actual owners of the church to open it back up for worship. And it was just cool to see that the people on that call and the young faces that are at a different timeline in their return to in-person gatherings um, like we have been since the month of July. And so we're all in a different situation. Nonetheless, I pray that the fire, which is the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit is placed in you, will continue to be stoked. I pray that the fire, which is the Word of God, will continue to be contagious and that we will share the Word of God, which is the light of Jesus Christ with the world. Amen? Today, excuse me. Today, we wrap up our six-week series in the armor of God, which we, we called... Fighting the good fight of faith. Fighting the good fight of faith. And today, we will be talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, unlike the other five elements of the armor of God, is not a piece of protection. No, the Word of God is a weapon. Can I hear an amen? The Word of God is the only element, true element, of the armor of God, which is a weapon of warfare, a weapon of spiritual warfare. That the Apostle Paul speaks about in Ephesians Chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. So, beloved, if you have your Bible, let's turn to the Word of God today. I would like to say it's good to see young people in the house of God. It's great to see Jacob Ortega, a young teenage boy who is here to help set up and part of the, the great Ortega clan here in Carson. God bless you, Jacob. Thanks for being here this morning to serve and help. As the word continues to get out that our church is meeting in person, I want to invite you and those who are online with us to reach out to people in your circle that may or may not know that we're already meeting because as the Ortega family has just found out that we are gathering in person, they've been disconnected from social media and their name had not been registered in the church directory. And so there are many people, many young people, many families that still do not have an idea that we're meeting in person because of whatever means communication has not been able to take place with the thousands of people that call themselves Ebenezerites. And so would you help us? Would you reach out to your family and friends? Would you let them know that we're back? Amen? Come on, you can do better than that, church. Come on, put your hands together. That's exciting. 
Jacob's mom, Vanessa, she's probably watching online right now. She says, Pastor, we'll be here next Sunday, 9 a.m. I said, praise the Lord. <clears throat> but guess what? I'd like to see a show of hands. If we adjusted our hours to 8, 10, and 12, how many of you would be sliding into that 12 o'clock English spot by a show of hands? How many of you would, be do, would, would like to do that? I see a few. Most of you are, are used to the early morning. So y'all ready to go back to 8 o'clock at some point when it's time? All right. Someone say, yes, we like our Sundays. And we, like, we don't mind getting up early. Praise God. All right, because we got a whole bunch of folk who said, Pastor, when you open that third service up, we're ready to come back. And I said, all right. So we just want to get an idea. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. We're going to do something special today. We don't always do it. If you grew up in a traditional church, you may have been raised by being asked to stand up when we read the word. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to stand up today as we, as we read the word of God. Praise the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark and dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Father, we thank you for your word today. May we as a people be encouraged, be edified, be fed, Lord Jesus, and be convicted by your word. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our spiritual eyes, and that you would cause us to take up the sword of the Spirit daily as we go into the world, as we slay our giants as we declare in the name of Jesus, victory. As we declare in the name of Jesus, life. As we declare in the name of Jesus, salvation. As we declare in the name of Jesus, your name to all the world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen and amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. And once you take your seat, like we always do, go ahead and put your hands together for the Lord Jesus Christ.
I grew up hearing the old adage, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can never hurt you. I used to believe it, but I'm not so sure I believe it anymore. Words are powerful. Words can change things. Words can be hurtful, painful. Words also can be filled with life and can be wonderful and can be just on, just in time, in proper season. Oh, when we receive a word that we needed to hear, it's like medicine to our soul. Words have gravitas. They have weight. And although we used to say sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, it's probably because we were teaching young people to be tough. We were teaching young people to not listen to the words of fools or the words of people that were trying to injure you, but that we were trying to encourage and build up young people and establish a self-esteem or a confidence that could do us some good and to not pay attention to the words of people who truly don't know who you are. And I can see the value in that. How about you? And yet at the same time, when we read the word of God, like in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, which say, And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Greek says to take up in the same phrase and in the same breath as to take the helmet. Take the helmet and take up the sword. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Last week, I explained the meaning of the word dexaste, which, which is where we get the word dexterity, which is where, what means for us to take up with our hands. So the sword of the Spirit is something that we have to take up on a daily basis. I've been blessed by the ministry of Sister Don Martinez. I'm going to embarrass her today, although she wouldn't want me to do so. She has a way with words. She's a professional when it comes to thank you cards and the words that are penned in her personalized thank you cards. And she is such an encouragement to me personally as her pastor and as her brother in Christ and as her friend. But not only that, in the middle of the pandemic, she called me like only, only Sister Don Martinez can do. And what I thought was going to be a 10-minute conversation on the phone turned into be an hour long. Sister Don has been gifted with the word. And she said, Pastor, I just want to share with you something that I started a couple of years ago, and it's changed my life. I said, Sister Dawn, what is it? She said, I started a reading plan called Bible Study Together. And it takes me through my reading plan every day of the week and throughout the year. And after two years, I have read the whole Bible and I'm getting ready to start reading it again. She said, now I know what people say 
when they say, we have to feed ourselves the word of God and not be spoon-fed by other people, including pastors, including radio stations, including YouTube. She said, we have to feed ourselves, and it has transformed my life, she said. And at the beginning of the year, January 1st, we rolled out the Bible study together reading plan. We passed out the flyers for four weeks straight. And I took up the challenge of reading the Bible study together plan with people all over the world that are reading the same portions of Scripture at the same time in their corners of the world. After you read the portions of Scripture that it lays out for you, you spend time journaling and writing and answering questions, praying for people, adding to your prayer request list and praise report list. It's a blessing. I say all that because it is so important for us to be in the Word of God every day. It's no wonder why Christians, just like people in the world, do not know what God thinks on certain matters and why sometimes our lives are not in line with the Holy Spirit. It's because we don't spend time in the Word of God. We don't know the Word of God. And so we make decisions based on our own thinking. But the Bible tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The only way we will know how to trust in the Lord with all of our heart is to study the word of God. For it says in Psalm 119, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So how will we know what God's will is if we don't know the word of God? Now I'd like to take my thoughts to the word in Greek called rhema. Everybody say rhema. Not just rhema, but say rhema. Rhema. This word, rhema, in Greek means a spoken word, a word uttered out of the mouth. I'd like to give us a definition today. Rhema is a word by implication of a matter, a spoken word by a living voice. And I'm quoting a theologian named Sayer who says, Rhema is commonly used in the New Testament and in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, which was translated from Hebrew into Greek. For the Lord speaking his dynamic living word in a believer to in birth Faith. Let me read that again. Rhema is commonly used in the New Testament and the Septuagint for the Lord speaking his dynamic and living word in a believer to in birth faith. So the Rhema word, many say, is the very word of God. Whether God speaks it audibly, whether somebody teaches the word of God or preaches the word of God. But other references in the New Testament also uses the word rhema as a specific theme or a matter or a specific detail. So it's not just a spoken word, but it is something that is given 
to the people of God on behalf of God himself. In other words, it means that the word of God has come to life. It means the rhema is the living word of God. Then we can argue or say that Jesus Christ, who is the incarnate word of God, is effectually the rhema of God. Can I hear an amen? For some of us, this is new. For others of us, it's review. Nonetheless, it's good for us all to understand what Paul was saying here when he talks about the sword of the pneuma, the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema. The rhema through teu. The rhema to theu. The rhema of God. The rhema word of God. Hallelujah. The first point that I'd like to make today is this. For those who are following along, death and life are in the power of the tongue. According to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, how many of you know that to be true? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm not going to get into the details. I'm not going to get into your kitchens today. Suffice it to say that we all know when we've been wrong for saying things or putting them into the cosmos that did not encourage, edify, or lift up a brother or a sister, a family member or a friend, a situation or a circumstance, unless it was the devil himself speaking death and rebuke over him and his demons and his attacks and his threats upon our lives. Can I hear an amen? But far too often, we have used words out of the Christian context. Do you know what I'm saying? We have used words outside of the Christian context which have brought damage and injury to others. Or we have been the recipient of that type of verbal injury that caused death, destruction, despair in us. And so we know firsthand what Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 is talking about when it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, most of the times when we say that, that word or that verse or that phrase, oftentimes for me, Robert, it comes off as life and death are in the power of the tongue. But I prefer, and I have to be reminded to say death and life are in the power of the tongue because death does not have the last laugh, but life has the last, last laugh. Can I hear an amen? Satan thought he had him when he had him on the cross. But on the third day, there was a man named Jesus from Nazareth that rose up and conquered death by being, by being lifted up, by being raised from the dead. Hallelujah. So I like to start off with death. I have a friend who's a, who's a believer. He's, a, he's an awesome man of God. I'm even say his name. His name is John Hart. He's a good friend of my wife and I, and Pastor Traco and Tiffany. And John, man, he's just, he's full of faith, man. He is, he's just, I mean, he's the kind of guy you want to be around. And he's a bodybuilder. This guy, man, he looks like Hercules. He's all natural, too. But in weightlifting, there's this exercise called dead, deadlifts. How many of you know what deadlifts are? When you start from the bottom, you grab the bar, and you bring them all the way up. Well, he doesn't believe in using words like dead or death. So he calls them, he's renamed them, he calls them Jesus Christ lifts. I mean, he's so literal. 
He's so literal. But the reason why it's always stuck with me is because he trained me in the weight room one time and, and I never went back. But the, his philosophy of his faith and his, his theology and his belief and his conviction is so just palatable. You could just, oh, you could just grab it. And what I love about John Hart is that he takes something that we, so, that we are so cavalier or that we, we're just so casual and just refer and call things by, the, by a negative name, not realizing that sometimes we're actually speaking death over our situations or ourselves. And so I like that Jesus Christ lives. But I want to remind us about a, a story in the Bible that I believe can illustrate this idea of death and life being in the power of the tongue. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, there was a giant. There was an enemy of Israel, and his name was Goliath. Everybody say Goliath. How many of you love the story of David and Goliath? And if you've never heard the story of David and Goliath, I'm just going to give you a little small snippet of this beautiful story. And the story of David and Goliath, it's a story of the Philistines fighting against the Israelites, and they were, they were enemies. They were rivals. And the story goes is that at the battlefront there in the valley of Eklon, the champion of the Philistine army would come out to the battle lines. And the Bible says that he was nine feet tall. Now that's a big dude. That's a big vato. And he stood up. And he hurled insults at the army of Israel. He also hurled Verbal insults at their God. He was so intimidating. And his words were with such confidence that his words and the sight of him struck fear, fear in the hearts of all the army of Israel. But look what, look what happens here. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. 1 Samuel 17, 8. He said, why do you even come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are not you servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said this. Watch this, verse 10. This day, he said, Goliath, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Verse 11, and on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. It's like if you're an athlete, and your team goes up against another team, and you see that they're all giants, and you, all, you feel defeated before you even step out onto the court. You're defeated before you even line up on the gridiron. You're defeated before you line up on the, on the beaches of San Onofre for a surf competition because you've heard a whole lot about this dude, and he's got a YouTube highlight reel that it goes on for hours, and you don't even have a highlight or a YouTube channel yourself. You just heard the stories. I mean, before Goliath walked up there to the, in the valley of Eklon and just called out all of Israel, I mean, they had heard stories about the champion named Goliath. I mean, his reputation preceded him. And the moment he spoke and opened his mouth, he says, I defy, fi, 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 fi. It was like in the movie Lion King, you know, when they're, they're telling the story and all of a sudden Scar says, Mufasa, and then the hyenas goes, oh, Mufasa, oh, Mufasa. It's just like that. The people of Israel were shaking in their boots. 
with all of their armor. Armor for nothing. Terrified. But Goliath spoke, spoke death and destruction. Watch this. And defeat over Israel. And it worked. Everybody, somebody say until. Turn to your neighbor and say until. Turn to your, your other neighbor, your second choice, and tell them until. Hallelujah. I love that one always. Until David heard what was going on. Until David said, who is this big buffoon? And then the old proverb applied. The bigger they are, the harder they, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And so we see here that Though the word of Goliath went forth and he spoke death over Israel, David came and rebuked the word of death. Don't ever let somebody come and speak death or destruction over your life. Always have a spiritual comeback. Don't ever let somebody have the last and the upper word over your life or your situation. Ain't that right, Pastor Dozier? I learned that from a wise man. He said, my mother-in-law is strong in the word of God. And she taught me to never let anybody come and speak fear over your situation by what they say. Always have a comeback in the name of Jesus over anybody's situation. Even if you said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and may thou be removed from my situation. <laughs> Praise God. We have to be reminded of the God that we serve. Hallelujah. I say hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But the thing is, you got to get comfortable using the name of Jesus. you got to be comfortable speaking with authority over your situations, even including people. I think I mentioned in a, in a, in a sermon not too long ago, Somebody that I was texting, and it happened to be the wrong number. This person was cussing me out and saying a whole bunch of things and everything like that. And I was going back trying to be, you know, oh, mealy-mouthed Joe, you know, saying, oh, I'm so sorry. I apologize. So they're, like, calling me F-words and stuff like that. And I was just like, man, I'm going to hit you with the other F-word, faith, baby. And I said, hey, man, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I don't ever want to hear from you again. I want you to get off of my text message thread. And may the Lord deal with you ever so severely. I said it just like that in my text. Do you know what he responded? I'd say it was a he. He said, that's more like it. I never heard from the dude. Even the people of the world are going to teach you how you need to be when God teaches you a lesson that he wants you to put into your armory, into your weaponry, and pull out and use it against the enemy's buffoons. Look at what David says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. I hope this is some good eating for us today. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. Hallelujah. Jesus always has the last word. If you have enough chutzpah, if you have enough guts, if you have enough spiritual authority to muster in your spirit, to speak out on behalf of God. We go from death to what? Life. We go from death to what? Life. That's why when you're water baptized, 
You are dead to sin and you are alive in Christ. That's why when you were dead and you were a creation of the, the world or your old self, you were, you were walking, you were a, a, the living dead. But the moment you gave your life to Jesus, you became a new creation by virtue of what you spoke and placed into existence because of your faith, faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Point number two. The word brings clarity and conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word brings clarity and conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to recount a story told by one of the greatest preachers of the late 19th and early 20th century. Name was Charles Spurgeon, a man who was anointed with the rhema, the word of God, the spoken, the, the preached, the proclaimed word of God. How many of you have ever heard of Charles H. Spurgeon? He wrote in one of his memoirs, while preaching in the hall on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, there is a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sunday morning. He took nine pence, and there was four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. A city missionary, when going and making his rounds in the community, met with this man, and seeing that he was reading one of my sermons, he asked a question, do you know Mr. Spurgeon? Yes, replied the man. I have every reason to know him. I have been to hear him and under his preaching. By God's grace, I have become a new creation of Jesus Christ. Shall I tell you how it happened? I went to the music hall and took my seat in the middle of the place. I like how that sounded, music hall. That, that means thinking big, amen? I like to think big. Our church one day will, will meet in a great, grand music hall in Jesus' name. What he says, as I was sitting in that, the middle of that place, Mr. Spurgeon looked at me as if he knew me. And in his sermon, he pointed to me and told the congregation that I was a shoemaker. And that I kept my shop open on Sundays. And I did, sir. I should, have, I should not have, reminded, have minded that, but he also said that I took nine pence the Sunday before and there was four, four pence profit out of it. Tr track with me, church. What he says, Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut my shop the next Sunday. At first I was afraid to go again and hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterward, I went, and the Lord met me and saved my soul. If I had a dollar for every time somebody came to me or I heard someone say of the preacher, how did you know my story? How did you know my situation with exactness? It's as if you were speaking directly to me. I've heard many memoirs of those who said they were in the midst of a, a great gathering where Billy Graham was preaching, and he was preaching as if he knew their story verbatim. Well, that's what happens when the Word, when the word of God gets involved with the Holy Spirit. And the Word that goes forth is inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring about clarity and conviction for the repentance of sin, to bring a lost soul or a sinner unto salvation. That's why we as the people of God should never get angry, offended, or afraid when the word of God that goes forth 
brings conviction in our lives. Don't get mad about it. Pray about it. Don't get angry. Reflect and see if God is speaking to you or to me. Hallelujah. Point number three. The word has power and authority over darkness. According to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Hallelujah. Jesus would proclaim and rebuke and cast out demons with his words. And so did the disciples. And so do you. And so do I. And so do we. Amen. So that's the word of God that's going forth. It's not just a word, though. It's the rhema word. And the reason why we call it rhema is because of the faith that is connected through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Also in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, it says that if you speak to that mountain and say, Be thou removed from this place, it shall be removed and be there no more. We can speak with authority and with power in the name of Jesus and trust that God will have his way and do his will. Amen? So you have the power to speak life over every situation. You have the power to take your anointing oil and to pray over your, the doorpost of your house and declare the name of Jesus over your home. You have the power to go into your living room and say, may the conversations that happen and take place and the living and spoken word that go from anybody's mouth in this house be edifying and encouraging and lifting up in Jesus' name. You have the ability to go into the kitchen where food is made, where conversations are had, where songs are sung, where people are whistling as they do the dishes and change the atmosphere and the environment over your situation. Hallelujah. I read a story about a brother here at our church, and I won't name, name who he is. He just talked about how he began to go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to change his situation in his family. And, and within days and weeks, God began to change the situation and turn the heart of the other person so that the, the, the situation was no longer dire, was no longer desolate, was no longer destructive, but it became uplifting and life-giving and edifying and redeemed under the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. I was so encouraged by that. So I hit like on their post. Hallelujah. And our last thought for today. The word saves souls. The rhema of God has the power to save. Hallelujah. Somebody say, the rhema of God has the power to save souls. Look what it says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 14. If you declare with your mouth, somebody say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. According to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth, that's why when, when, when a man and a woman walk down the aisle, when they go to the altar, and you say, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? And what does the man say? I do. And vice versa. Words are binding. Words are, somebody say, words are binding. When you, when you say something or when you promise something or when you commit to something, don't just casually commit. Don't just, don't just carelessly say, oh, yeah, well, I'll see you. Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Too many Christians write checks they can't cash. I've done it, and I'm trying to get better at it. I'm trying to be more intentional with my words so that the things that I say are the things that I do. My wife said, what is a man if he does not have his word? Because our word is what? Bond. Our word is like a signature on the dotted line. 
Our word is like our John Hancock next to the X. Our word is contractual. Our word is an agreement. Our word is a confession. Our word is a declaration. Our word is a profession. Our word has the power to save. In other words, the words that we speak are like depositing seeds in someone's life. The words that we speak are like depositing seeds in someone's soul. The words that we throw out into the cosmos have the power to change things. Like in the book of Joshua when the sun stood still. Like when Jesus stepped out of the boat in the middle of the storm and began to declare, storm, be calm. And the winds and the rain obeyed him. You and I also have the power to command our situations, to speak life, and to declare salvation. Hallelujah. Verse 10. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of God shall be saved. How then can they call on one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not yet heard? And how can they hear? without someone preaching to them. I have nothing against relational evangelism. I have nothing against building relationships and trust with people that you're doing life with and beginning to sow seeds a little at a time so as to pray that the Holy Spirit opens their hearts so that they would be receptive to receive the words that you are going to give them. But people of God, may I be blunt? In the words of my brother, Dr. Koba Canales, if you saw something, say something. If you see something, say something that's the definition of a witness so how can we not be witnesses of Jesus Christ and not share the truth of who God is and all that his son Jesus Christ has done for us we can't keep putting off that conversation that we have to have with our colleagues with our co-workers with the dads and moms on the volleyball team, the baseball team, the soccer team, the track team. You know, at some point we need to have the courage and the boldness of Jesus Christ to care less about what they think about what you're about to say. I've heard far too many times people say, nobody ever shared with me the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're like 35, 40, 50 years old. They said, I've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever be intimidated by anybody. If David was intimidated by the word of Goliath and the way he defied God and the armies of God, then guess what? David would have never opened his mouth to testify about the goodness of God and the power by which he lives. But on that fateful day, David opened up his mouth and he declared and he decreed in the name of the Lord, which is the God of Israel, defeat over the Israelite, uh, over the Philistines, defeat over the enemy. And that day, guess what? David took a rock and he placed it in his sling and he whirled that sling around his head and he let it fly. 
And that rock whistled through the air. And it smacked Goliath right in the head. And Goliath fell dead. And just to make sure that he was dead, David took out the sword of Goliath from Goliath's scabbard, which was probably taller than David himself. And David picked that thing up and lifted it up above his head. And he said, in the name of Yahweh, in the name of El Shaddai, in the name of the Lord of Israel, I defy the Philistine army on this day. And he cut off the dragon's head. He cut off Goliath's head with the sword of the Spirit. What do I want to connect for us all today? It wasn't Goliath's sword that defeated the enemy. It was David's rhema of God. It was David when he declared and stood up in the face of adversity, in the midst of his challenges, in the middle of impossibility. When everybody said you can't, when everybody said you won't, when everybody says you don't, when everybody said we never will, when everybody said it's impossible, David, oh little old David, the little shepherd boy from Bethlehem stood up. He didn't even have a helmet. David couldn't even carry the breastplate. David couldn't manage the shield. David couldn't manage the big shin guards that Saul offered him. David didn't want to even carry Saul's sword because Saul's sword of metal was nothing in comparison to the sword of the Spirit. Had nothing in comparison to the rhema of God. The rhema to theu. Everybody say rhema to theu. The rhema of God is so powerful that it has given you the salvation by which you carry. It has given you the power to be born again. People of God, stand to your feet. Hallelujah.